We're in Genesis chapter number 49, and we, of course, have been working our way through the life of Joseph. We're coming very near. In fact, this message will take us into the 50th chapter here, and, uh, of course, the 50th chapter being the last uh, chapter in, in Joseph's life that at least we have information about. And so if you'll look with me in Genesis 49, we'll begin reading in verse number 29, and we'll read through Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 1. The Bible there says, And he charged them, speaking of Jacob, and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. This morning, with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach you a message I've entitled, How to Die. How to Die. That perhaps is not what you anticipated uh, receiving when you came into church this morning. You probably did not think that the preacher was going to talk about how to die, but that's where we are. And I must tell you that it's important that you know how to die. Recently, I had lunch with a pastor of a fairly large and historic church about an hour or so south of here. I think at one time the church ran in the neighborhood of about 4,000 people every Sunday. And as we sat and sort of communicated with one another and shared some stories with one another, he, he told me, he said, I've been pastor of my church for 25 years. And he said, in the 25 years that I've been pastor, we have buried 1,200 members. 1,200 members. If you do the math, that's almost one funeral a week for 25 straight years. That's pretty amazing. One of life's only certainties is death. You, you in here this morning, you, you might get married, you might not get married, but you will die. In this room this morning, you, 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 may, have, you may have children and you may be a parent at some point, or you may not be a parent and have children at some point, but you will die. You in this room this morning, as you look at your life and you think about maybe a career and you think about accomplishments and achievements, you, you in here may be very successful as it relates to a career, or you may not be all that successful. Uh, I, I don't know. You, you may not even know at this point what the future is going to hold, but here's one thing that we do know. All of us are going to die. We may not know how we're going to die. We may not know when we're going to die or where we're going to die, but we know this, that we are going to die. Beginning at the end of Genesis chapter number 47, and throughout Genesis 48, and into Genesis 49, Jacob is in a position of actively dying. If you look at the end of Genesis 47, it seems pretty obvious that his time on this earth is very, very limited, and that he is on his deathbed. He is an aged man, and the inevitable is settling in. For those who are not around it much, I have to tell you, there is a look of death. There just is. 
In other words, as a pastor, I've been around it enough where I can walk into a room, I can walk into a hospital, I can walk into a home, and I don't even have to have anybody tell me what's happening. I can, in my own mind, I can see the look on an individual's face and about their body, and I can tell that death is near. I'm not a medical professional, I, I'm not a nurse, I, I, I've not studied those things, but you don't have to study those things to know when death is circling around its most recent victim. Jacob, at 147 years of age, as we step inside his tent, and as we observe him in these chapters, it is quite evident to all that here is an old man who has about him the look of death on his face. As we observe him in our text, he is surrounded by his 12 sons, boys who have not always pleased their father, and certainly he has not always pleased them. Uh, they've not always made him proud, but still they are his sons, and still he, is, uh, he loves them greatly. He spends time speaking to each and every one of them. We addressed that briefly last week, and he gives them a prophetic uh, glimpse or announcement into their future. And with these Prophetic announcements finished. He now himself must cross the threshold from the land of the dying to the land of the living. Jacob is the last of the patriarchs. He is, he is one of the great men of faith in the Bible. Think about this. In all of world history, in all of world history, there has only been one man who physically wrestled with God and lived to tell about it. Jacob is that man. Although we can assume about his death that he died as a result of, of old age, we, we really don't have a specific element that tells us this is what claimed his life. Were his, uh, were, were his kidneys failing him? Did his heart just just go out? Did uh, Was it something liver-related? The Bible doesn't give us all of those specifics, but it does tell us that he, he yielded up the ghost and that he died. We might ask the question, what was on his mind at death? Who was near him at death? And what was the period of mourning like in the following days preceding his death? And what impact did his life and his death make on those who he knew and those who he loved? All of that is recorded for us here in this text. I must tell you that there are many things that are out of control as it relates to death. I already alluded to this, but I can't control when I die. That's in God's hands. I cannot control from what I die. I, I think about this often because uh, I, I'm around this enough that, you know, I assume, I assume that as a 44-year-old man, I have plenty of time left here on this earth, but I really don't know that. I really don't. I, I, I would like to, I'd like to think that I've got several, several more years left, years to watch my children continue to grow and watch them begin families of their own. And, and, uh, and, and I'd like to assume all of those things, but I've been alive long enough and I've been around enough people who, who, who woke up one day and everything was fine and they woke up the next and everything was not fine. And so we really don't know. Those are, there's some uncontrollables as it relates to our death. But listen, I can determine how I die. I may not be able to determine when and from what and, and where it's going to take place, but I can determine how I go. Jacob's death here teaches us how to die. And since we all must die, and there is a superior way to die, as recorded for us in Scripture, well, then Jacob imparts to us in our text how a man 
or a woman should die. Let me just point out three things that I find in, a, in this text, in these two chapters. Number one, can I say this, that I believe you should die having adequately prepared your family. Die having adequately prepared your family for your death. We read of these things in verses 29 through 32. I, I, I marvel at, how, at, at how, many, how many people are unprepared for death and how many of their families are unprepared for their death. It's like we, it's like we never talk about these things. And I understand perhaps why that would be. You know, there's a lot of superstitious people in our world. There are people, there are literally people that believe if I buy life insurance, I'm gonna die within a week. You know, well, then if that's the case, you better buy it, you know. If you've only got a week left, you better get on that, right? There, there are people who, 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 ref, who refuse to have any of those types of conversations with their families. They don't want to talk about, okay, well, if I die, this is, this is where I'd like to be buried. Or, or even some are, are making plans for those things, but, but, but so few people are doing that sort of thing. And, and, I, and I have to tell you that Jacob deals with all of that, but I want you to notice what he, how he prepared his family first. First of all, we discover that Jacob gave his family hope. Jacob gave his family hope. Would you look with me in verse 29? Where the Bible says, and he charged them and said unto them, I and to be gathered unto my people. Jacob's words here, that I am to be gathered to my people, these words gave his family a sense of hope. You know, one of the great fears in death is the fear of the unknown. What's going to happen to me after I die? Where, where will I go? What, what, is, what is after this life? And I love how, how Jacob, this, this man of, of, of great faith, he leaves his family, listen, he leaves his family with no doubt concerning where he was going and who he was going to be with. I think that's a, I think that's a powerful thing, that Jacob gave his family hope. He, 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 he looked at them, he says, listen, I know where I'm going. I'm going to be gathered unto my people. My people being my, my father and my grandfather, other great men of faith. Listen, listen, boys, listen, sons. Never wonder where I am. Never wonder about where I might be. Understand this, that when I draw my last breath here, I am going to be gathered unto my people. You don't ever have to wonder where I am. He gave his family hope. Certainly, Jacob, I believe, intended two meanings when he said these words. I, I think there's an element, a reference to the physical, and then there's a reference also to the spiritual. Notice, notice that, that in, the, in the following verses, and we'll touch on this in just a moment, he talks about exactly where he wants to be buried. And he says, you're going to find in this very cave where you're going to bury me, you're going to find my grandfather and my grandmother. You're going to find my father and my mother. And you're going to find one of my wives in, my, in, in this cave. So, so I think this is definitely a reference to the physical. I am to be gathered to my people. You're going to, lay me, you're going to lay me right next to my wife. You're going to lay me right next to my father, my mother. You're going to lay me right next to my grandfather and my grandmother. However, I want you to notice something. Would you look in verse number 32? Excuse me, verse number 33. The Bible says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost. And notice, and he was gathered unto his people. Now you're going to find, listen, you're going to find that there is a period of months before Jacob ever arrives at that tomb. He's, he's not there yet. So, so understand this is much more than just a reference to the physical. Jacob is speaking by faith and he says to his boys, listen, when I die, I'm going to be with someone. 
I'm going to be with my people. I'm going to be with the other great men and women of faith that you know about, that you've heard stories of. That's where I'm going. And Jacob looked forward to a grand reunion with his people. And he taught his family that they, listen, they could have the same thing for themselves in death. If they would live by faith as he had lived by faith, Jacob believed God and believed God's word. And Jacob claimed God's promises throughout his life. Jacob followed God. Jacob worshiped God. In death, Jacob's statement must have infused his family with hope. Here, here, here's, here's what they could carry on with the rest of their lives. Our dad is going to die, and we will see his face again no more down here. But a day is coming when we can be gathered to our people as well, where we can be with, with our family forevermore. You know, the greatest legacy a man can leave his children is a spiritual legacy. I, uh, I, I, know, I know some of you are thinking about what you're going to leave to your children. You're thinking about houses and lands and, and, and finances and, 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 and that sort of thing, and that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. But can I tell you the greatest legacy you can leave them is this, that they know where you are, and they know how to get there themselves. That's the, great, that's the greatest legacy that you can leave your children. Uh, you, you listen, they'll, they'll spend all your money. <laughs> they'll spend it all real quick. They'll, they'll, sell, they'll sell those houses and lands unless there's some, you know, unless there's some pre-agreed upon, and, and that might even go out the window at some point, right? That all of that, all of that's nice. It's wonderful. Nothing wrong with it. And I, I think it's to be encouraged. But listen, this, this is something that lasts for all of eternity, the spiritual legacy. Let your children, let your children know that where you're going when you die. Your money, your possessions, your good name, your reputation, all of that's good. But to know, to know that we will enjoy eternity together is far beyond these things in value and worth. Abraham and Isaac died, and they left behind a son and a grandson in Jacob. Jacob spent many years looking forward with hope to a grand reunion with them. And that reunion for Jacob was now very, very near. And Jacob looked forward to it. He looked forward to seeing his people again. He was here letting his sons know that they, they too could enjoy a similar reunion someday. So I would just say this, spend time preparing your family spiritually so that they have hope when you die and when they die that this is not the end. I've been in lots of funeral settings. And I will tell you, there is a supreme difference in a funeral where there is hope and a funeral where there is no hope. I've seen it with my own eyes. Here, here, here's what you'll find. You'll find in both settings, there is, there is a body. In both settings, there are lots of living people that are milling about and talking. In both settings, there are tears because that's natural and that's normal. But there is, a, there is a supreme difference in a setting where there is hope as opposed to a setting where there is no hope. And I would just say, as you think about preparing your family, give them what Jacob gave his family, give them hope, that this is not the end, that this is a temporary goodbye, that this is a temporary parting, but we will spend eternity together again someday. There is a great gathering of people on the other side, and Jacob gave his family hope. But notice, secondly, we discover that Jacob gave them instruction. 
he gave them instruction. The next few verses, Jacob is quite clear concerning the exact geographic location that he was to be buried. He gave detailed instruction to his sons that he was to be buried in the cave that happened to be in this field belonging to this individual. It was the specific, he says, it's the cave that my grandfather purchased many, many years ago so that he could bury his wife, Sarah. And eventually he was buried there. And not only was Sarah and Abraham buried there, but my father and my mother are buried there. And I even buried Leah there. No doubt that they had probably been to this cave many times before, but it had been at least 17 years since they had been back to Canaan. Jacob was very careful to give enough detailed instruction as to leave them with sufficient knowledge about where his body was to go upon his death. Can I just make just a little bit of a practical application? Because I think that's what's happening here. I, I think that, that there's, a, there, there's a real practical element to this idea of, of dying in which, in which we, we instruct those who are going to be left behind. Here's what to do with me. I think you need to have those conversations. I think, I think it's something that probably families ought to talk about just a little bit more. I think there's some preparation that needs to go into these sorts of things. I think, I think life insurance is important. I think it's important that, that, that a man who is still in the primary you know, wage-earning years of his life, that he makes sure that if he dies, suddenly, unexpectedly, his family is taken care of. I believe that with all of my heart. You have a responsibility, you have an obligation to do those sorts of things. Obviously, as you age and get a little bit older, the, the need for that maybe becomes just a little bit less, but I think that that's important. I, I think there are some in this room, you already know where you're going to be buried. You've, you've chosen that spot and you've, you've already paid for it. You've taken care of it. Some of you, you've pre-planned your funeral. You've done, you've done all these things. Some of you, you even know what suit you want to be buried in. Fine, fine, nothing wrong with that. Make sure, make sure your family knows about all of these things. You know, if you want to be buried in a red tie and they bury you in a blue tie, that's going to be a problem, you know. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying carefully, listen, carefully, what, what, what is it that you want? I, I deal with death enough and sometimes families come in and they're, I mean, they're at square one. They don't even know where to begin. And they have lots of questions and we do our best to try to guide them through some of those things. It's a whole lot better when a family sits down and I've had families come in and they've said, here it is. She wrote everything she wanted down right here on this piece of paper. She wants this song to be sung by this person and so forth. And so, I mean, it is, it is down to a, to a, to a science. It's, it's all been figured out. And I think there's probably some happy medium in all of that. But I'm just simply saying, here, here's what Jacob does. He sits his boys down and he says, hey, listen, I want to be buried in this cave. And here's where it is. And here's how we, as a family, secured it all those years ago. And here's how you get there. And, he, and here's why I want to be laid right next to this person and that person. And, 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 and he gave instruction. He gave instruction. Again, let people know. Let your family know what your final wishes are. Work ahead to make the job easier for them. And be clear how you want things to be after your departure. Again, some families, they lose a loved one. They don't even know where to begin overwhelmed with grief, and now they must decide, you know, what funeral home are we going to work with, and where are we going to bury them? And, and, uh, and even in some cases, they don't even know how to divide up the assets, if there are any assets. Where do, where do we begin here? A much better way to die is to do so with your family prepared as to what your specific instructions are relating to these things. But notice there's a second great thought that I find in this text as we move down to verse number 33, and that is this. Listen, I, I think Jacob teaches us how to die Content and confident. Die content 
and confident. Notice, notice two things that we find in that 33rd verse. Number one, we discover that Jacob died content in God's timing. Look what the Bible says. It says, and when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost. I don't want to sound weird here. I certainly am no expert in these matters, but it almost appears, it almost appears as if Jacob exhibited some level of control as to when he died. I, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's what all of us are going to be able to uh, to, to, to exercise control over. But I have heard some that are around death quite a bit, maybe hospice-type people and, and, and that sort of thing. I've heard them say things like they believe an individual can slip away sort of on their own terms. In other words, if they want to die with no one in the room, they'll wait until everyone is left. And if perhaps they want to die with people around them, then they hold on until certain people have arrived. I've heard stories of, uh, of, of you know, this, this, this family member's coming from out of town and, and, uh, and they should have been dead a day or two ago, but it seems as if they're holding on. And it's almost like when that person arrives, it's like they, they, they let go, they slip away. I, I, don't, I don't know about all that sort of stuff. I've never died before, so I don't know that I can speak to, to that particular element or not. But I do, think it's, I do think it's interesting what the Bible says here about Jacob, that he, that he made it and he finished what he wanted to say to his boys. The Bible seems to indicate that he pulled himself up into his bed and he, and he rolled over to the side, perhaps, and he yielded up the ghost. He exercised control over when he died. He was content that he had lived as long as God wanted him to live, and he was content that now it was his time to go. I say that it would seem, at the very least, that Jacob knew it was his time to go and he resigned himself to that and he trusted in the Lord's will without a fight. Matthew Henry, the great Bible scholar, writes these words. He assumed about Jacob, he assumed a posture for dying and he freely resigned himself and his spirit into the hand of God, the Father of spirits. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I want to say this, when it's my time to go, I want to die with contentment and confidence in God's timing. I don't want to die, I don't want to die with this bitter spirit crying out, this is unfair. I want just a few more days. I want just a little bit more time. I don't want to hold on for an hour or two more. I want to die content that I have done, listen, that I have done exactly what God put me on this earth to do that I have lived my life to please the Lord and to honor the Lord, and that I've, I've, I've been faithful to the end. I want to die like Paul died. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, because of this, there is a crown that is waiting for me. Jacob died content in God's timing. But notice, secondly, Jacob also died confident in his eternal destiny. The Bible says that he was gathered unto his people. Of course, he made a reference that we've spoken about that just a moment ago. Can I say that I believe these two are very closely related? In other words, most people who are clinging for just a little bit more time, who are holding on to just a little bit more life, give me just an hour or two more, give me a day or two more, give me a year or two more, the reason why they're holding so closely to this life is because they don't know what lies beyond the grave. Or worse yet, because they do know what lies beyond the grave. The idea that, that they don't want to trade what is known for what is unknown, or in some cases, they don't want to trade what is known for what is known. In other words, they, they know where they're going, 
and it's not favorable. I would say that Jacob died, and the Bible says that he was gathered unto his people. He wouldn't be buried for quite some time still, so this first gathering was a spiritual gathering. It was an eternal gathering. Can I say there's a confidence that God gives when someone knows where they are going when they die? This is what, this is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 in verse number 8. He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Did, did you notice just that word confident there? He says, we are confident. Why? Because we know where we're going. As believers in Christ, we know that absence from the body equals presence with the Lord. There's confidence there. We don't have to worry about where we're going and, and, uh, and, 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 and any of those things. We, we know exactly where it is. Now, listen, I find, I find so few people have this type of confidence in our world today. It's because so few people know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And knowing him Knowing him, having been redeemed by his blood, listen, gives one confidence in their eternal destiny. I have the life, I should say, I love the life that God has given me here. But you know, there are parts, there are parts of this life that I don't love. I'll just be frank with you. There are, there are days that I love more than others. There are certain things that I do that I really love. And then there are certain things that I have to do that I don't really love. I just sort of tolerate. I do them because I have to do them. You see, the, you see the difference between the two? But can I tell you, listen, can I tell you that where I'm going, where, where I'm going, I'm gonna love everything. There's, there's nothing not to love about that place. I'm going to love seeing my Savior. I'm going to love seeing my family and friends who've gone before me. I'm gonna love living in a world that is free of sin, that is free of sadness, that is free of disease and death. Knowing, listen, knowing where I am going fills me with confidence that when it is my time to go, I'll be trading something great for something that is far better. See, see life down here, I love. I, I'm, not in a hurry to, I'm not in a hurry to check out. I'm enjoying this life down here. I mean, there's days that I like better than others, but I'm not, I'm, I don't have some death wish. But here's, here's, here's what I do know. If I were to get a report tomorrow from the doctor that says, listen, you got six months to live, here, here's, what, here's what I know. There, there'd be some sorrow there, no doubt, but I would know this, that I'm trading in something that is great because my life as God has given it to me is great and it is blessed and I'm betraying something that is great for something that is far better. So how do you have that confidence? I have it because of what scripture teaches the Bible says in Philippians 1.23, for I am in a strait betwixt two. I'm in, a, I'm in a place where I'm having a hard time deciding what I want. He says, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Man, I, I know some of you are living a great life down here. And you got everything your heart could desire. You live in a beautiful home and you drive a nice car and you have a loving family around you. You get to enjoy just about everything that you want to enjoy. But, but don't miss this. Listen, to depart and to be with Christ is far better. It's far better. Gatherings with my people down here are wonderful. And they're to be enjoyed. But you know, every, every one of these gatherings down here is temporal. Whether it be holidays, whether it be parties, whether it be church services, we gather together, we greet one another, we spend time with one another, and then we walk out that door and we go to our own homes. That's, that's what gatherings with our people are like down here. We, 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 think about, we think about having children in our home and, and we understand that they're only there for a, a period of time. And so if, you're, if your children are gathered unto you right now, enjoy that time because that, that won't always be. 
There will be a day in which those children will move on and they'll create families of their own. And then we'll really look forward to gatherings with our people as they all come together. But listen, listen, there is a gathering. There is a gathering over there that is far superior because there will never be a goodbye. They'll, they'll, they'll never be a, hey, listen, we gotta go home, we gotta go to sleep. No, there's no night over there. There's, there's no need to rest over there. No, we, we won't need those sorts of things. We'll be together forever. And Paul says that is far better. Notice thirdly, can I say thirdly, die having lived a life that is worthy of being mourned upon your passing. In other words, live your life in such a way that when when, when you die, there's, there's reason to mourn, there's reason to sorrow. Yesterday, we had a funeral here at the church, and as I was spending a little bit of time with some of the family, we were talking about the deceased and just the life that she lived and her faithfulness. And I was reminded, I was reminded of a, of a phrase that I heard, it's certainly not original with me, but somebody once said this, they said, live your life in such a way that the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral, <laughs> I think that's probably good advice, right? Uh, you know, you, 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 we've all been there before. We sit down in a, in a funeral service, and I mean, they get up there, and I mean, it's glowing this and glowing that, and we're sitting here going, do we know the same person? <laughs> I'm not so sure, right? I'm not so sure about that. In death, in death, we want to sort of gloss over some things, and we want to cover some things. The goal is to live your life in such a way that when you die, there's a reason to mourn. No, man, they, they added, they added some, some great value and some great worth into our life and into our world. Notice, we see, first of all, that Jacob was mourned by his children. He was mourned by his children. Genesis 50 and verse number one, the Bible says, and jo Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. Joseph is highlighted here because really this is his story. Perhaps the death of Jacob maybe, maybe hit Joseph a little harder than it hit the rest of his brothers. You know, he was robbed of more than two decades with his father, 20 years of, of fellowship and interaction that was stolen from him. So perhaps as Jacob dies, the grief is maybe just a little bit stronger for Joseph because of what had been taken from him. But we would assume that the other sons, the other boys did similarly, that they too wept and fell upon their father and kissed him. They, these men, they revered their father and they were near him when he passed. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect father that doesn't exist. And if there were, if there were a perfect father, as we read the book of Genesis, we discover Jacob was far from the perfect father. We've highlighted in the study of Joseph's life uh, an element in which Jacob showed favoritism to one son above the others, just like he had favoritism towards one wife above the others. So Jacob was far from perfect, but nevertheless, his children respected him. Let that sink in for just a minute, dads. Because a lot of times we do, we tend to beat ourselves up just a little bit. Man, why can't I get a control of this area? Why can't I get, and you need to work hard to get control of this area, that area, and to be the best dad that you can possibly be. But listen, I think what you'll discover, your, ch your children will give you lots of grace. That's what Jacob's sons did. Because Jacob was far from the perfect father, and yet when Jacob died, there was grief and there was sorrow. Despite Jacob's shortcomings and Jacob's weaknesses, his sons still loved him and were deeply affected and moved by his passing. Jacob was a steady influence in their lives, and they knew he loved them, and, they, and he knew that they loved them. 
So we see that Jacob was mourned by his children, but notice he was also mourned by the nation of Egypt. Joseph, Joseph was so loved and so respected by the nation of Egypt that when his father died, there was a significant period of national mourning. The Bible says it was 70 days in verse number three, and 40 days were fulfilled for him, for his embalming, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and 10 days. I have to tell you, most of us will never, will never fully impact a nation in this way, but our lives can and should be used greatly in the lives of others so that when we die, more than just our immediate family mourns. See, see God, brings, God brings lots of people into our lives. See, sometimes, sometimes people are so, you know, they're, they're just so, they're so tight with this sort of thing. It's like, man, this, this is my family. That's all I care about. I don't care about anybody else. And as a result, when they die, all that's there to mourn is their family. But you know, God brings different, different extended families into our lives, doesn't he? I mean, I think about this church family. You know, you know what I, I think is so beautiful is when we have a funeral to watch, to watch our church family come in and greet and love on the family that has lost someone. Why? Because, because the church family's hurting too. Sometimes the work family comes in. Someone's been retired for a number of years. And we work side by side every day. We loved one another. He was a great coworker. She was a great boss. She was a great whatever, great teacher. Maybe there's neighborhood people that come in. I, sometimes I'll stick, you know, hey, who's, now who is that? Oh, that's, that's, that's my mom and dad's neighbor that they lived next to for 30 years. You know, you know what that is? They, they touch that person. So that's more than just the immediate family that is here and grieving. No, lots of people are grieving. Lots of people are mourning because of the way that that person lived. You, you, may, not, you, you may not touch a whole nation. There may not be no uh, you know, breaking news that interrupts a broadcast to announce your death. It doesn't have to be that way. But what I'm saying is, listen, live in such a way to touch the lives of those around you, not just your immediate family. Understand that God brings people into your life so that you can affect and so that you can help and so that you can be a blessing to. And Jacob was mourned by the entire nation of Egypt. I would say that God gives us an opportunity to touch lives at school and at work, in the neighborhood, at church, in the community. The list could go on and on. Don't be so consumed with your own self and your own needs that you miss the opportunities that God gives us to influence others simply because sometimes we say, well, I, I don't need to influence them because they don't share my last name and they don't have my DNA. No, no, listen, influence anybody that God brings into your path. Amen. Live life in such a way that when you die, there's, there, there's cause for great mourning. I want to I just call your attention to a third and final thing that I find in this text, and I, I, think it, I think it's the way it ought to be. Look what happens in verse number 11 of Genesis chapter 50. So the story continues. A group of people, they fulfill the 70 days. It's now time to walk to Canaan and to bury him there in this cave that he spoke about. And so the Bible tells us in verse 7 that Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elder of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. I, the Bible tells us how many, but it seems like this is a big group of people. This is a large funeral. And notice what happens in verse number 11. They crossed the Jordan, and when the inhabitants, verse number 11, of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, 
They said, this is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians, wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. The third thing that I discover here is that the mourning of Jacob made an impression on the Canaanites. The mourning for Jacob and for his loss made an impression on the Canaanites. The Bible says that this procession of mourners had left Egypt and had entered into Canaan, and as soon as they crossed the Jordan, they paused for a week for seven days at the threshing floor of, of, of Atad. That's what the Bible tells us in Genesis 50 and verse number 10. And I have to tell you that it, it probably was very unusual for this many Egyptians to be in this region for this length of time. And notice the Bible says in verse number 10, what were they doing there? The Bible says there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. The length of time they mourned, the amount of people who were there to mourn, and the intensity of their mourning, the Bible says it led the Canaanites to conclude that this was something special, that this was a great and historic figure who had died, and that this was a great loss for the nation of Egypt. They actually, listen, they actually went so far as to change the name of this place because of what had happened here. They changed it to a place called Abel Mizraim. If you study that out, that means Meadow of Egypt. So because of the mourning, the week's worth of mourning and the amount of people and just the significance of it, they said this, is, this, this, this land belongs to the Egyptians. This is the meadow of Egypt because of what happened here. So what's the point? Well, this particular verse led me to a very powerful thought. When a believer dies, I want you to know something. There are often unbelievers, or we might say Canaanites, who are watching. They're watching. They're watching the way we die, how we die. They're even, they're even going to watch how our family responds to our death. They're watching all of these things. Will we display bitterness and anger? Or will we, dis, or will we display trust and confidence in God's will? I heard a preacher at a funeral, a tragic funeral for a missionary who was actually martyred on the field heard a pastor stand in front of the congregation. He, say, we, he said, we both wrestle and we rest in this matter. I thought that's a, that's a good way to put it. He said, we wrestle with how he died and why he died, leaving a family behind, trying to serve the Lord. But at the same, at the same time, we have great confidence and trust in our God that he is sovereign and that his will is always right and his will is always good. Don't you find yourself sort of in that in-between that in place? We're wrestling and we're resting. Wrestling and we're resting. And I have to tell you that the Canaanites, they're observing. They're observing us as we wrestle and as we rest in God. As we place our trust and our confidence in him. They're watching how we live, but they're also watching how we die. And they're also careful to observe how we mourn or how we sorrow. Paul wrote about this very theme. He said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Wouldn't it be our greatest legacy to live our lives in such a way as to leave every one of our mourners with hope that they will see us again? The lost world would then, listen, the lost world, the Canaanites would then be forced to acknowledge there's something different. There's something different. There's sorrow there, but it's not a normal type of sorrow. There is a sorrow with hope 
The world sees that. The world acknowledges that, just as the Canaanites acknowledged what was happening here at this place that they renamed Abel Mizraim. Listen, as we conclude this morning, you are going to die someday, every one of us in this room. Some of us, it may be a whole lot further off than we think, and some of us, it may be a whole lot sooner than we think. Can I I help you? Die prepared and having prepared your family adequately. In other words, leave a spiritual legacy and not just a financial legacy. And express your wishes clearly so there's no doubt what happens to you and to your assets upon your death. Can I say number two, die content in God's timing and confident in your eternal destiny. Finally, die having lived a life that is worthy of being mourned after you're gone.